Amen. Amen. Jesus, you are Lord. You reign over it all. Over the earth that you created by the word of your power. You were there in the beginning with God. And everything that was made was made through you. And you have made us in your image. And you have redeemed us to be with you, to glorify you, to be satisfied in you, to be delighted in you alone, Jesus. Thank you that you reign over everything. Would you reign over us this morning? Now, Holy Spirit, continue to work in our hearts as we now hear the word from Pastor Rick. Move in us. Illuminate your word in our hearts. Give us the power to obey it. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe what it says, and hands to do what it says. We pray for Pastor Rick. Give him boldness. Give him clarity. Give him wisdom that he may preach as he ought to. Jesus, thank you that you reign, that you are over everything. We eagerly await your return when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. But it's our joy to do it now. So we are bowed to you this morning, confessing your name. Jesus over everything. And it's in your powerful name that all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Welcome. I am so glad you're here this morning. In some ways, this is a very unique morning. It closes out a series that we've been in for over five months, for 21 weeks. We've had the privilege to sit back and to study the words of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Christ's words for me, personally, have been life-altering. You see, the fundamental aim of the sermon was to, print, was to present Jesus 
and his kingdom vision for his kingdom people. We have learned that the only acceptable response to this sermon is to embrace him, accept the challenge, and obey him. But who are his kingdom people? Who, who actually are part of his family? Well, the answer is really easy. It's those who have looked at their lives and recognized that they have fallen short, that they don't have a relationship with God, that their sin, that our sin, has separated us from God. That's why Jesus came to die on a cross, to shed his blood, so that he might appease the wrath of God and might provide a way for us to be redeemed or restored back to a relationship with God. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, in his work on the cross, is a son or a daughter of God. They're part of the kingdom. So you see, by responding to Jesus, by listening to Jesus, by obeying Jesus, we actually declare who he is by the way we live. We show others who our master is by the way we live. Before we open up the scriptures, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunities that each one of us have to be able to come and to gather together to worship, to adore. Lord, we thank you for the time that we can give you and praise you your worth. Lord, we often fall short, though, we, we try at times, and, and we sing at times, and yet our words seem to fall short. We thank you again, God, for who you are, for what you're done, what you're doing, your faithfulness in our lives, your love that's displayed every single day. We thank you. We pray, Father, not only for this church, but for all the churches all over the world that are proclaiming your name, that are opening up your book to be able to teach and to praise you. For those in our area, Lord, our sister churches, we pray for New Hope and for Northbridge and for Emmanuel. We know, God, that they love you and those flocks desire to be salt and light, and we pray they would be encouraged as your kingdom advances. Father, I want to say thank you again for this last week where we had multitudes of kids and staff and volunteers be able to pour into lives of young people. We thank you again for your word that was faithfully taught, and we pray, God, that not only kids' lives would have been changed, but their families. We thank you for the teachers right now who are downstairs, who are teaching our children, encouraging them, strengthening them with your word. May you open their eyes. May they see who you are, and may they learn at an early age about how wonderful and gracious a Savior you are. We love you, Lord. 
and pray that you would be honored today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Matthew chapter 7. Now, today is going to be a little bit different, although we're going to start off with two verses. We literally are going to look at chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. So it'd be good if you do open up and you'll be able to follow along. Again, if you've been part of our study, there is going to be a plethora of slides today as we kind of go through, see an overview, and hopefully encourage your hearts with Jesus' words. Let's start off, though. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Jesus gets done with Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's pouring his heart out. There are multitudes out there. And folks, at the end of his message, they are in awe. They are amazed. They've never heard anything like this. Maybe they've heard some of the truths, but they've never heard it proclaimed like this. They never saw anyone with the authority that Jesus had. Now, Jesus summarizes the sermon in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, when he said this, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Paul repeated Jesus' words in Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 9. This is what Paul writes. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And then he writes in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For the whole law, all of the scriptures, can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now God describes how disciples act in the kingdom, which is so different than people act who don't know God. Jesus is upsetting the traditional religious apple cart by sharing how kingdom patriots actually behave radically different. Please follow along in your Bible as we look at this whole sermon together. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus starts off this sermon by telling us how to please God and how to be blessed. We spent quite a few weeks looking at this. And we found out that you please God when you listen to the Spirit and you are blessed. You are blessed. You're fulfilled. It goes against everything that you've been taught or that the people back then 2,000 years ago were taught. 
He starts off by saying this. Know you are spiritually poor and realize you have a need for him. Jesus is, is saying this. He's saying, when you look at your religious heritage, when you look at you as a person, recognize that you're short, that you've fallen short, that you're not good enough. You need Jesus not only for your salvation, but you need God every single day of your life, every minute, every second. This is not what the culture says. The culture basically says is that you're sufficient, that you can do whatever you need to do. You'll be okay. Secondly, Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you mourn over your sin. (laughs) This isn't the culture's way again. Sin doesn't, you know, look that heinous doesn't look that wrong. Uh, We put sin in categories. And as long as we don't do the greater sins, we're kind of okay. But Jesus says, no. When you're part of my kingdom, when you look at sin, you will mourn over it. You will recognize that it breaks your fellowship with God, that you need to confess your sins so that you are back. And can walk with God again. Jesus said those who are meek or humble, oh, they will be blessed. That's not what our world says, our culture says. Our, Our culture says make everything about us. Jesus said, hey, I want you to think about others first. I want you to put them before you. That doesn't make sense in business, doesn't make sense in the household, doesn't make sense anywhere. But Jesus said, that's my way. Then he said, you're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. People who will be blessed, people who will be happy are those that actually realize that my way is good. And I won't just casually go to it, but I will hunger, I will thirst, I will pant. And he goes on, he goes, blessed are those who are merciful. Again, not the way of the culture. Most of the time, we would like to, well, step on people. Make sure they know how right we are, rather than be gracious and kind. Blessed are those that have pure hearts, those that deal with sin quickly. Blessed are those who work for peace, recognizing that relationships are hard to maintain. It's not our culture's way. And then lastly, Jesus says, blessed are you for suffering for your obedience. As you follow me, as you listen to me, you will suffer. Well, what's hard to understand is, is that you will be blessed for your suffering. Then Jesus goes on, and the culture he talks about commits verbal murder naturally when they are angry. But disciples make reconciliation with others their priority. You see, normally what happens is that it's easy to get mad at somebody. 
It's easy to get angry with someone. But Jesus says that's in the same category as murder. So disciples don't do that. Disciples focus on reconciliation. Later on in Matthew 18, Jesus said this, if you know of somebody who has sinned against you, you go to them, you talk to them, you let them know, you work out this conflict. And then right here in this passage in Matthew 5, if you know, if you know of someone who has something against you, you, before you sacrifice, before you put anything on the altar, go settle that. Be reconciled. Make peace with that person as far as you can. As I shared this text back some weeks ago, it was so convicting to me. That week was a week and continue to, Lord, who is it that you want me to go to? Who is it? Then Jesus goes on. It says, the culture doesn't flinch at adultery and often commits and fuels mental adultery. But Jesus' followers have the power to deal decisively with their sinful thought. The stats still are about 50% of the folks who commit to marriage get divorced. And what Jesus said, when you're a kingdom patriot, all right, um, things will be different in relationships. The way that you look at women or men. Jesus even said this. He goes, I, I just want you to know that, yes, the act of adultery is horrific. But when you look at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery mentally. And Jesus' followers have the power not to go that direction. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, the apostle Paul writes this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Kingdom patriots choose to think differently in spite of the bombardment they get on computers or billboards or in the office. Paul also writes in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, he says this, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you that every kingdom patriot has the ability to be able to Stop sinning in this area because of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. 
Paul says this, have nothing to do. That means don't dabble. Don't click once or twice. Don't send that text. Don't keep gazing at the tube. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, Paul writes, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. When you weren't a kingdom patriot. When you were not a God follower. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And this is so cool. Verse 10. Verse 10. Put on your new nature, just like clothing, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. What a promise for kingdom patriots. You choose to put on your nature, to listen to God, to obey him. And as you do, you're being renewed from the inside out. You are learning to know who your creator is, how gracious and wonderful and loving your creator is. And that all of the principles that he's given you and given me are for our own good, are for us to be able to listen to and to thrive and to blossom. It's the enemy that tells you differently. And as we are renewed uh, from the inside out, Paul says, we become like him. We actually begin to talk more like Jesus, to listen and to act more like him. We're going to keep moving here. In the world, divorce is common. But kingdom patriots are committed and make every effort to remain with their spouse. You know, there's lots of reasons to give up. But Jesus' followers recognize what commitment is. Our culture has to make vows Stand before a judge before they actually tell the truth. But disciples, what sticks out about them is they will always tell the truth. They they don't have to stand before a judge. They are committed to honesty and integrity. Our world loves revenge and personal retribution. We love to get even. That's kind of our motto. But Jesus' followers will be generous even to those who injure them. As we're following this and listening to his sermon... This is not how normal people respond. The only way you can is by listening to God, by allowing the Spirit to be able to change you from the inside out. It is normal for the unredeemed to hate 
their enemies. But kingdom patriots, they will love and pray for their persecutors. Who does that? Who? Nobody. You will stick out absolutely like a sore thumb in our world if you pray and care for those that, well, you're not drawn to. Our culture delights in human approval, in looking good on social media. But disciples serve others. They pray faithfully to an audience of one. They fast privately, in secret only to please God and to gain eternal divine reward. Those who are listening to God and walking with God are not performing. They are not making sure everybody notices. In fact, the way that Jesus described it is as you pray and as you fast and as you give to the needy. Well, do it before God. Do it privately. Do it secretly. It's not about you It's about you and your father. So different than especially the religious of that time. Then Jesus continues. And he says, everyone seems to worry. Everyone. Everyone seems to be concerned about having their needs met. But do you know that kingdom patriots, that God followers, are going to act differently? They are going to follow and trust their king. They are going to be loyal to his kingdom. You know what I've noticed, just in my life, is that I can justify any worry and always find somebody to agree with me. All right? Well, yeah, yeah, we better set this aside. Or we better make this investment. Or, you know what? I'm not sure the weather's going to, you know, and we start going on and on. Yet the question remains do I trust my good, good father or not? Jesus is not saying don't plan. But what he is saying is, tomorrow has no guarantees. None. Health and wealth and material blessings. All the things that you have and may have been really wise in using and really setting things aside for a rainy day. The truth is this. Is that we can choose to worry. Or literally, as you look at your father, who has always been faithful, always, and trust him for the days ahead. The world condemns others thinking that they are omniscient and knowing the circumstances. People who condemn others often have this air of, oh, I understand everything. I know why you're going through this. 
I understand these scenarios or situations. They actually put people in boxes. But what was different when Jesus taught was this, is that disciples will examine their own lives, confess their sin before trying to help others. Because there are many that do want to help others get over humps or get through tough times. But Jesus said this, there's a log in your eye. Take care of the log. We all have blind spots. May we as disciples deal first with those blind spots. Confess our sin so that we might be able to encourage others on the journey. So different. Those who own their own logs in their own eyes don't hover above others. They walk alongside of them. You see, our culture doubts God's goodness. But kingdom patriots believe that God is good and can rest in his answers to prayer. It's so easy to judge God. It's so easy to ask God in a very persnickety way. (laughs) Why do you let this happen if you're in charge? What's wrong with this situation over there? Now, sometimes we don't have that arrogant voice, and sometimes we may just whisper it, or we may just try to think about it. But we are not God. We are not as smart as God. We are not as wise as God. We do not see the future. We do not understand all of the things that are going on in this world. The prophet Isaiah writes this in Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 8. God is saying, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. I I mean, we could just stop right there. You mean to tell me you don't think like me? God, I couldn't help you run this world a little better? (laughs) Come on. And what about this justice? And what about this situation? And what about this war? And what? God, don't, don't you need a little help? My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine, Rick. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So why am I so arrogant at times? To think I know better than God. God, you are good. You are gracious. We have limited eyesight and perspective. So we trust God, who is good, who is wise, who is just and loving, no matter what we see or how we feel. His word and promises take priority. We have to learn to speak God's truth to ourselves. 
Not only do I say that often to me, as I have a chance to meet with others and counsel and encourage them through difficult and discouraging times. Speak God's truth to yourself. Don't forget God's truth. The unredeemed do not listen to Christ's words, which results in eternal torment. We've been spending the last few weeks here. But disciples, God followers, kingdom patriots, will listen to his words. Because obedience leads to abundant and eternal life. Jesus said things like this. You know, there are two roads. One's really wide and one's really narrow. The road to obedience is narrow and it leads to life. There are a whole lot of people that are on the wide road, doing their own thing, going their own way, and their end is destruction. Wow, no one likes talking like that. So Jesus, uh, a lot more people are going to be destroyed than not? Maybe. And there's two trees. And in his stock, he says, hey, you're going to recognize those who listen to my word, they're going to bear fruit. It's going to show. And those that don't, they're going to be cut down and burned. Oh, and then a bit of this message that disturbed a whole lot of us were the two followers standing before the judge. Hey, hey, you know what? I preached. I did miracles in your name. Whoa, there's a lot I did for you, God. And the judge just simply says this, "I, I don't know you. I I don't know what you did, but I I don't know you. We never had a relationship. We never had a relationship. Depart from me. And then last week, if you're with us, two houses. Jesus said, the wise, (laughs) they're going to build their house on a firm foundation. And, And... Those that aren't wise, they're going to build their house in sand. And when the storm comes, when judgment comes, well, those who have listened to me, they're going to stand. And those that haven't, they're going to crash. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, one of the verses that haunt me. John writes this, anyone, anyone, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I cannot even tell you the last few weeks that I have just been thinking through the people in my life that don't know Jesus. 
creating ways to write or think or pray or interact with them. Hoping some way to be able to share with them good news and gospel. Those who listen to God's words, they will have abundant life now and eternal life later. But those who don't, well, you know what? They're never going to. Or you know what? They have a different lifestyle. Or you know what? And, and I give all these really good excuses. But the truth is, it's not only just being separated from God. It's being tossed in the lake of fire. Anyone, anyone choosing not to listen to God. Anyone not accepting his gift. Say, oh, Jesus, this is hard words. These are hard lay. You know, like, I, I thought you were a God of love. I, well, he is. He wants us to experience life. He wants us to spend eternity with him. So as I wrap up, Jesus paints a picture of the kingdom and asks every one of us to join him. Turn your Bibles back to Matthew 5. And right before he got into the guts of the sermon, I'd like to read for you Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is that salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You, Jesus said, you kingdom patriots, are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Then down at verse 19. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom. But listen to this part. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is is trying to paint this picture, and, and he says, hey, I just want you to know you listen to me, and you are salt. Salt preserves. Salt brings out flavor. Salt is attractive. As you go out in our world, you will be salt and light. Light illuminates the darkness and shows the path and points people. 
Jesus says, you're going to be salt and you're going to be light. And, and you will make a difference. But then he says, even in the very front of his sermon, you want to be great. Now again, some of us will have some false humility at this moment, but, but when the, the bottom line is, what do you want to be known for in life? What do you want to be great at? Great mom, great dad, great businessman, great ball player, great, and, and you just keep kind of figuring that out. But what Jesus said is this, you want to be great in my kingdom, you want to be great, what you do is you obey me and you teach others to obey. You want to be great. Listen to all of my words. You'll never regret that. And help others listen to my words. That's the greatest kindness that you can do. So let me ask this question. In a million years, it's a long time, but in a million years from now, who would want to be great in anything else? You see, listening to Jesus, listening to all of God's word, understanding how precious this is, changes how we spend our time. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the apostle Paul writes this to Timothy, the young pastor. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. And it is useful to teach us what is true and to help us realize what's wrong in our lives. It teaches what is true and what needs to change. It corrects us when we are wrong, this word of God, and teaches us to do right or to obey. God uses it, this word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The purpose of Jesus' message would be that we would be light, that, that people would be drawn to God because of the way that we act and we live. We wouldn't repel them. We wouldn't shove or, or make them shove God aside. We have an opportunity to represent God wherever we go. So Christ's vision for us is to be salt and light, to act like Jesus. Oh, can you even imagine what your marriage would look like 
if we listened to Jesus? Well, what would happen in your household if we listened to Jesus by his grace? Uh, how would we respond to neighbors or friends that don't know Jesus? What would be the things we ought to talk about or would talk about? Christ's vision is simple. Walk with me. Listen to me. You will be salt. You will be light. Your actions, your good works, all the things that you do. Wow will point people to me because nobody acts like this. Nobody responds like this. That's what the kingdom of God will look like. Would you bow your heads with me at this moment? I'd like each one to just be quiet for a moment. I'm going to pray. But just, I'd I'd like you to talk to God. He spoke this message thousands of years ago. Encouraging people to listen to his words of life. And then go be salt and light. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Oh, you you can become part of his family today. Maybe you've been partially obedient and you need to confess some things. And maybe you've been walking with God and experiencing life. Thank God for the grace he's given you and for this strength to continue on. Let's be quiet for a moment before I pray. Lord, I'm so grateful that you love us. I am so grateful that you made the first move because in our own selves, we run from you. In our own selves, we're, well, smart enough. But God, the longer we live our lives apart from you, well, it's really clear what a mess we make. So I thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the way you pursue us. I thank you for the words that you've given us and for the opportunity to be great in a million years. God, be patient with us. Help us see clearly how wonderful you are.
And would you combat all of the enemy's lies, all of the enemy's energy that tried to deceive us about you and doubt you. Thank you again, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.